you will, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Our passage for today will be verses 1 through 7. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. First wanted to open with a quote uh, that I read this week. It's by a a Puritan named Jeremiah Burroughs. It was from his book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And um, the quote, I I believe the quote's fairly easy to understand, but in case I need to, I'll reread it. Sometimes the Puritans can, their words can kind of trip us up a little bit, but I, I think this one's pretty good. It says this, if I become content by having my desires satisfied, that is only self-love. But when I am content with the hand of God and am willing to be at his disposal, that comes from my love to God. If I become content by having my desires satisfied, that is only self-love. But if I am content, when I am content with the hand of God and am willing to be at his disposal, that comes from my love to God. And I read that quote this week, and I was like, man, um, if being willing to be at God's disposal, even when my desires don't align with him and his desires, uh, if that's contentment, how often am I ever truly content? How often is my discomfort, my disrupted plans, my suffering, the hand of God at work, bringing about his desired purpose and will in my life or in the life of others. And thinking about that, regardless if I see it, if I understand it, or have been told why I'm going through these things, isn't God working out all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose? That's something I was kind of chewing on this week. There's been you know, all there's life going on all the time and everything. There's always stuff, right? But just things that have been brought to my attention, things that we go through personally. Um, these are some of the thoughts that came to mind. And as I thought about our passage and I thought about God's providence, uh, it's just, it's such a beautiful thing. Because his mysteriously, the mysterious way that he orchestrates all things together, uh, it's, it's awesome. Um, when I thought about that, it's, it's not like God strong arms us into doing his will. We willingly do everything that we do, and that, that includes believer and unbeliever. Uh, but somehow, in some transcendent, miraculous way, he works all things together according to the counsel of his will. We see in Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 10, he says, Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. Uh, For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. Now, you may be saying to yourself, what in the world does this have to do with the birth of Jesus? Uh, how, How are we making those connections? Well, the birth of Jesus, what we're going to talk about today, Uh, is not some random course of events that uh, led to Mary giving birth in the town of Bethlehem, which was part of uh, fulfilling God's plan and through his prophecies given in the Old Testament. Uh, It it wasn't random. It wasn't by chance that they just ended up there. 
the, and, and something that I, as I was studying this week and kind of biblical history, um, human history, just kind of seeing how things all play together, it's, it's just amazing the consistency we see, the accuracy we see, these, these prophecies being fulfilled, and the precision in which God had all these pieces fall together um, in, in this perfect plan in bringing about the birth of his son, um, Jesus Christ. Now, as we do that, right, as we look at these things that transpired in these seven verses, we've got a few, um, a few, few points that we're going to look at. And my intention isn't to, you know, it's, it's not going to be, I don't, I don't want to say this is not going to be like a standard sermon, but I'm not trying to put a new spin on an old passage as we cover this, but God really used this passage this week to minister to me. And so I, I hope uh, my, my prayer is that by God's grace, the, the things that God has shown me and, and ministered to me shines through uh, in this message. So with that in mind, we've got seven verses, and we've got three main points that we're going to look at. And I, I like alliterations. To me, they seem to make things stick a little bit better. So they're this, providence, protection, and pregnancy. Providence, protection, and pregnancy. So what are these three points? Well, first, we're going to look at how God's providence prepares the way. Then we're going to look at how Joseph's protection takes them along the way. And then we're going to talk about how Mary's pregnancy gives birth to the way. Right? Jesus is known as the way, the truth, and the life. So we're going to look at these three things in, in our passage. And so kind of tying all this back into contentment and love and what we see going on in this passage, here's our sermon summary for today. It's this. Seeing God's providence shown in bringing his son into this world should build our confidence in knowing his providence will complete his work in us. Seeing God's providence shown in bringing his son into this world should build our confidence in knowing his providence will complete his work in us. So with that in mind, let us go ahead and read our passage. Uh, this is, once again, Luke 2, verses 1 through 7, and then we'll break it down into those three points. This is the word of God. It says, In those days the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be, met, uh, excuse me, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we, uh, we thank you for this time that you've given. Uh, it is a day that you've made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, I seek to be a tool used in your hand, um, a vessel to be poured out and um, used to minister to your people. This is your time for your people. And this is your word that uh, should go forth. I pray and ask, Lord, as we go through this time, that um, your words are clear, uh, that I take a seat back, and that we are all ministered in whatever way you see fit through this time. We thank you for this, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 first, and we're going to see how God's providence prepares the way. Let me reread those verses. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, I don't want to bore you with a history lesson, but I do think it's important to note some historical context for uh, this Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke uses specific names that were uh, Gentiles in this time, and so they give us a context in which uh, this, this letter is written. We don't get these kind of, uh, this kind of information in any of the other Gospels, but uh, Luke decides to put it in his. So Caesar Augustus, who is he? Well, by all accounts, he was a successful ruler in uh, the Roman Empire. Uh, he's known as the one who brought in, who established the Roman Empire. It was before the Roman Republic, and he brought about what's known as the imperial peace across the land. They called it the Pax Romana, or the Peace of Rome. And as he did this, there was continuity throughout the known world, which would have been their, their empire. And so this is what, what he did, right? This is what Caesar Augustus did. And so uh, this, is, this happened over the life of, well, he came into power before Christ was born and then died around A.D. 14. Uh, but his establishment kind of established uh, order and peace throughout the known world, which would have included uh, Jerusalem and Israel as a whole. Now, as far as him asking or decreeing that a census would be taking place, that's the registration that they're referring to, this was a common practice. I mean, we do it today. Every 10 years, there's a new census that, that comes out in the U.S. And so back then, this wasn't uncommon. Uh, people get registered, each family, and then this kind of determines what kind of taxes you pay, what kind of land you own, what kind of family members you have. All this is, is standard practice. This wouldn't have been anything out of the ordinary uh, to the people of this day. Taxes covered expenses of wars. Uh, they covered else, whatever else the empire needed to do if they were fixing roads or paying for um, their military, whatever the case may be. These, these, um, this, these, ta these tax dollars came in for that purpose. Now, considering that and where we're reading today, um, you know, if we were Mary and Joseph, it would seem potentially, <clears throat> excuse me, a little inconvenient that after this pregnancy announcement, uh, that the angel, of, uh, the angel Gabriel gave months earlier that by decree, which is a law, if you don't do it, it's, it's, you know, it's punishable uh, by the, the government. If they didn't pick up and travel to this hometown, uh, there, there's, there would be penalties to that, right? So potentially for Mary and Joseph, this would be an inconvenience, right? This would be uncomfortable, just a change of plans that would came up for them. Now, Nazareth to Bethlehem, I don't know how familiar you are with those cities and how far they are away from each other. I had to look it up. If this was just a day's travel, it may not be that big of a deal, but from Nazareth to Bethlehem was roughly 90 miles, okay? This would have been uh, with Mary being eight to nine months pregnant during this time and her having to travel on the back of a donkey. <clears throat> Standard travel would have been about 20 to 25 miles per day that they travel, so that you're looking at a four to five day trip, right? eight, nine months pregnant, traveling on the back of a donkey, uh, you know, is the, the terrain of the Middle East and four-day, four or five-day trip, right? This doesn't sound very, uh, very comfortable, doesn't seem very uh, convenient during that time. And as I thought about that, I was like, you know, if I was to ask the, all the mothers here today, right, if, if y'all were to think about um, 
traveling 90 miles while you're eight to nine months pregnant on the back of a donkey, I don't know many of these ladies who would sign up for that, right? Um, I, I don't even know if you'd want to travel 80 to 90 miles today in a vehicle, 80 or you know, 90 miles, right? Being eight to nine months pregnant. This would be very inconvenient. It would, it would throw off your plans. It would just, it would seem like a daunting task to have to do all this because the government's require me to do this, right? It's, it would be frustrating uh, to do that and uncomfortable to say the least, right? It would almost seem unnecessary because back in this day, only the heads of house were required to travel. It, it, Joseph could have went by himself. Uh, the women and children didn't have to. The head of the house could represent the family and he could travel those 90 miles and do the registration and, and be back. Um, but that's not what happened, right? Joseph and Mary traveled together. And like I said, being pregnant, you ladies know, it's just getting out of bed is uncomfortable when you're that pregnant, right? Much less traveling 80, 90, you know, 100 miles. <clears throat> and that kind of brought to mind some things, right? As I think about the inconvenience of having to travel while you're pregnant or while you're traveling with someone who's pregnant, right? It's, I'm sure it wasn't easy on uh, Joseph. <laughs> but, you know, when we think about that, right, how often do minor inconveniences and even major inconveniences get away, get in the way of our plans, right? When we think about our day-to-day -day life, how often do these things get in the way of what we think we should be doing or where we should be going or how things should be uh, for us? Now, going back to Mary and Joseph, you're like, okay, well, they knew, you know, the angel of the Lord came to them and they knew that they needed to, you know, they, they would have known some of this stuff potentially. We don't know for certain if she knew uh, if Mary and Joseph had the prophecy that was given in Micah, uh, he looked up. <laughs> if 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 he had known, if they had known that prophecy given in Micah five, if that was on the forefront of their mind and knowing they needed to travel, that 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 uh, prophecy is this. Let me read it to you because this is where we get the understanding that Jesus was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. It says this in Micah five two. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Right, like that's, that's where we get the prophecy understanding that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, you know, they would have had scrolls, they would have had all the Old Testament, the prophets and the law, they would have had all those writings in the synagogues around the nation. Uh, and, and so we could assume that Mary and Joseph knew about this. You know, we could assume that they knew, uh, but whether they knew or not, even when we think about the things that we know are right and we know the things that are to be done, how often do we actually do those things, right? We know we are to love one another. We know we are to pray for one another. We know we aren't, to, we aren't called to slander one another, gossip behind each other's back, lust. Uh, you know, we're not supposed to do any of these things. They're clearly written in scripture. They're not implied prophecies. These are commands that are given. Uh, but even in these instances in scripture, how often do we choose not to follow the things that God has called us to? Right? Because they're either uncomfortable or, you know, this situation called for it. Right? You just don't know this person that I'm dealing with. You know, there, there's all kind of things that we can come up with to justify our sinful habits, right? The things that make us uncomfortable, things that are inconvenient, things that I just don't want to do because of X, Y, or Z reason. We, we can come up with a hundred 
different excuses. Mary, eight, nine months pregnant, why does she want to travel 80, 90 miles, right? She doesn't want, I'm, I'm sure the flesh didn't want to. Um, I wouldn't want to travel today, you know, if it took that long, and I'm not pregnant, right? I'm just getting older. Uh, body's starting to hurt. But, uh, but yeah, you know, they, they, there's things that we're called to, and there's things that are inconvenient, but are we understanding what God has called us to and what we are called, uh, how we are called to obey him? So the issue that I see with us, what we tend to do when we don't follow what God has commanded, when we see these things that are clearly laid out in Scripture for us to do, we tend to focus on the right now, what's the immediate thing, and we don't focus on the big picture. Now, in our passage today, the fact that God has set this plan into motion for Mary and Joseph to get to Bethlehem where the prophecy would be fulfilled, what I, what I find really remarkable with that is the fact that he just used these ordinary means to bring it about, right? Caesar Augustus all of a sudden is like, you know, we're going to do, do a, a census, right? So send out this decree. So that would have taken time, right, for this decree to go out across the land, for them to get to these places. All this was done while she was pregnant, not before the baby was born, not before it was too late for her to get there. Uh, but all of this kind of happened in a way that seems normal, right? It just, all these things, all these pieces just kind of fell into place. One could call it coincidence, right? Albert Einstein once said, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous, Right? It, it kind of could play itself out looking like that. And, you know, Albert Einstein, I don't believe he was a Christian. Um, but I don't know if, you know, God is trying to remain anonymous by coincidental activity. Right? I, 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 I think it's much more that he just uses everyday normal instances as, an, as a way to bring about an extraordinary plan. Right? He just uses ordinary things to bring about an extraordinary plan. And that kind of reminds me of the fact that so many things happen today, right? That we, even today where it's like it's just enough to where we know he's there, but just enough to give people a way out to think that it was something else that brought it about, right? Uh, I think about with, like with our daughter, right? She's dealing with those seizures. Now she's on meds. We're, by God's grace, we're weaning her off the meds. And it's been over a year and a half since she's had her last seizure. But then, you know, it's like, okay, well, is it the medicine? Is she growing out of it? Was she healed? Like, what's, what's going on, right? I, I, we don't know, right? We, we don't know. So it's like God is obviously at work in all situations. We see him working all things together for good. Uh, but oftentimes he's, he's using these ordinary means that he's given us to bring about his extraordinary plans. <clears throat> and so going back to Caesar Augustus, right, he... He would have had no idea the plan that he was putting into motion when he said, you know, we're going to have this census. Go ahead. Y'all bring in my money because I need these statues built. I need my military strength in. I need all this stuff brought about, right? When this plan came across his mind, he had no idea that he was setting up a plan to bring forth the king of glory into creation. I guess it's amazing for me to think about, like when I think about who he was, this mighty, powerful man, and God used him in his own cognition to bring about this uh, beautiful plan. And then for Mary and Joseph, right? They may have had plans for their baby. She may have already been in that nesting stage, right, where she's setting up her stuff. Um, but, yeah, their plans could have potentially changed. But in God's providence, he was preparing this way for the coming king. 
So we see that right in these first couple of verses. God's providence not only prepared the way, but he ensured the way was clear, ordinary, and maybe a little inconvenient. So now let's look at verses four through six of what we have going on here. Let's see how Joseph's protection takes them along the way. Let me reread these verses. It says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Now, here... The first thing I want to mention and kind of focus on since we're talking about Joseph's protection along the way, we don't get a ton of information in the Gospels about Joseph or Mary for that matter. Uh, there's not a whole lot of information in the Gospels about them. But one of the verses that really stands out to me about who Joseph was as a man is found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. And, and the verse says this. It says, and her husband Joseph, this is after he finds out she's pregnant, um, it says, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I heard Johnny Mac, John, John MacArthur, I heard him talking about Joseph in a sermon, and he, he referenced this verse. Uh, and it really convicted me when I, when I heard what he was talking about, because it kind of deepen my understanding of this word just and uh, Joseph as a, as a man, as a believer. Now, when I think of the word just or justice or righteous, uh, I tend to think of very black and white terms, right? I, cold and dry, right and wrong, just it's, it's very definitive. And not that that's not the case. That, that is the case with those words. But if God is, if one of his attributes, the way he displays who he is, is him being just uh, and, or him being righteous, right? There's more depth to what just means other than just black and white, this is right and this is wrong. And since God is just and, and he is righteous, if Joseph is being just and righteous and unwilling to shame his betrothed Mary, what we also see in, in Joseph and, and him being a just man, a righteous man, a, a godly man is compassion and kindness and humility and grace. If, if we really put ourselves in Joseph's shoes during this time, right, Mary comes to him and, hey, I'm pregnant, right? What is he supposed to do? What is he supposed to think? If the woman he loves that he is betrothed to, legally bound to, tells him she's pregnant, right? What, what would you do if your spouse or your fiance or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, today comes to you and, and would tell you that if you were single? I'm sure it wouldn't be as, as polite and calm as Joseph was, right? Me, I would have called her out, put her on blast. She would have been, you know, because... According to the law, adultery could have been put to, they could have been put to death for that, right? So he would have been just in taking her to the priest and, and having this stoning done. This would have been completely legal and just in one sense if he had done that. But him being a just man and being unwilling to put her to shame, 
resolved or took it upon himself to divorce her quietly, to not put her to shame, to not expose the perceived sin in, in her life. And I thought that was very convicting for me when I think about just acts and righteous actions. Because I know I'm not like Joseph when it comes to this kind of stuff. When I think about my own home, the way I interact with my wife and my kids or even here at the church, a lot of times I'm not that, very often I'm not that compassionate. I'm not that kind. I'm not that humble when it comes to someone's perceived sin against me or actions towards me. I get upset, I get angry, and I want justice, right? I want my brand of justice. And as I thought about that, right, like I said, the way that I interact with my wife or my kids and in my home and what my perception, my shallow understanding of justice versus the just man Joseph and the way he interacted with his betrothed, it reminds me of this quote from this book that we've read, that I've read countless times now, uh, The Masculine Mandate. It is, after the Bible, it is the, for me anyways, it is the best book on manhood that's out there. Uh, no joke. I recommend every male out there to read that book. Man, man child, boy, teenager, it's a, it's a fantastic book. And there's this specific quote that I always come back to. I've mentioned it many a times, and I'll continue mentioning it because it's such a convicting quote. Uh, he says this, I used to think that if I was, a, if, if, I, if a man, excuse me, I used to think that if a man came into my house to attack my wife, I would certainly stand up to him. But then I came to realize that the man who enters my house and assaults my wife every day is me through my anger, my harsh words, my complaints, and my indifference. As a Christian, I came to realize that the man that I needed to kill in order to protect my wife is myself as a sinner. Seeing Joseph show Christ-like love to his betrothed is a beautiful thing. Now, I say that knowing full well that an angel of the Lord came to Joseph later, explained to him everything that was going on, and there was, there was confirmation for his attitude towards her, right? By God's grace, it was there. But in that moment, he didn't know that, and he still responded that way. That's the beauty, right? Seeing that kind of compassion without knowing what was to come. His thought was just, hey, just, this wasn't for me. I'm not willing to put her to shame. I'm going to divorce her quietly, let her be, and, and just kind of wipe my hands of it. But it's a beautiful thing to see how Christ-like love flowed through him in that time and brought about the protection for the Son of God. Now, this isn't the only way Joseph protected Mary along uh, the way here. Joseph takes his nine-month pregnant Mary we're going to assume she's nine months. She could have been seven, eight. We, we don't know exactly how long they stayed in Bethlehem, but let's just say she's nine months. Uh, she's his betrothed, not his wife, uh, but she take, he takes her with him to his homeland in Bethlehem. Now, Joseph brought her with him and 
protected her along the way, made sure her and the baby were safe. Now, there could be lots of things said about what kind of conversations were had, right, when he brings this pregnant uh, betrothed woman with him. We don't know, so we're not going to go there. Uh, but the thing that, that really ministered to me as I thought about Mary carrying this child along these roads that we don't know how safe they were. Maybe they were really safe, but still anything could happen along the side of the road. There was protection that Joseph offered her as he took her along the way. He made sure her and the baby were safe. Now, if you're like us, and, and a lot of you are, if you've ever had trouble conceiving or have lost a child, you know just how precious and truly miraculous it is to carry a child to full term. And as careful as Joseph had to be with Mary as she carried this child, who was the promised king, I'm reminded of whenever the New Testament was written. And each of these 27 books of the New Testament were a single copy written by Paul, James, John, all these authors, that there was one copy that had to be carried from a messenger to a church, right? And, and none of these letters were lost. They were protected, right? They, they, it's, it's, it's amazing to think just how precious this cargo that Mary carried, there was 27 instances, because there's 27 books in the New Testament, there was 27 instances where that precious cargo, the word, Mary's carrying the word made flesh, but the word was carried so that we can know and see who Christ is today. It's, it doesn't make any sense to me to think about how precious that is, how miraculous that is, how providential that is to to have not only Jesus carried this way but then also the word that shows us who we who he is today um, and makes him real for us it's a beautiful thing and I like I said I, I can't really put it into words but it's just yeah I it's it's mind-blowing to to consider that that had to happen 27 times no marauders nobody you know, the word didn't get dropped in the water and ruined. All the things that had to come together for us to get the word that we have today, not only in Greek in the original language, but to get it to us in English today is, is an amazing, amazing, beautiful thing. <clears throat> so many things could have gone wrong, but just as Joseph's protection of Mary was how God preserved his son, God preserved his scriptures so that we too can see Jesus Christ for who he is. Now, so far, we've seen God's providence preparing the way. We've seen Joseph's protection for her um, along the way. And now we're going to look at Mary's pregnancy, which gives birth to the way. And this is verse 7. Let me reread that verse 4. It says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. Mary's pregnancy gave birth to the way, the truth, in life, right? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Isaiah describes him as Emmanuel, God with us, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The God of this universe took on flesh and dwelt among us and had the most common, ordinary, meager entrance imaginable. 
born in a common family home, was given common family garb in the process. <clears throat> I didn't realize this. I had to, in my studies, Ezekiel 16 describes, um, it's, it's kind of an off, not an off comment, but it's, it's God's rebuke of Israel, but he's kind of talking about how a normal birth transpires in his way of rebuking Israel. He says this, uh, and as for your birth, talking about Israel, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. Right, this was a standard practice for the people of Israel to be, for the babies to be wrapped in swaddling cloths. That's kind of normal. I mean, we wrap babies up when they're born today. It's the same, same type of thing. Um, but having what's not common, what's not normal, was them having no place to lay his head. We hear Jesus talking about in the Gospels as well, right? He had no place to call home. Uh, so they laid him in a manger, which is a feeding trough for livestock. Now, the passage says uh, he was placed in a manger uh, because there was no place for him in the inn. And a lot of times these nativity scenes that we see are like an outdoor shed or or stable and, and that sort of thing. But uh, as, as I was reading and studying, a lot, of, a lot of scholars and people today tend to kind of, they don't think that's quite as accurate as what uh, actually took place because a lot of these homes had these, what are called, uh, the Greek word is kataluma. And, and so it's, it can be translated as an inn or a place where people would, like a, like a boarding house. It could be thought of it as that way. Um, but the word means like loosening down, like a loosening room. So I've, what I've seen, it tends to be more of a, like a mud room. It was, if it's kind of like a house today, more like a mud room where people brought in, it's in the house and people brought in their horses, camels, donkeys or whatever, and they untied them or tied them in, unloaded their stuff. Um, it wasn't typically where people laid their head to rest. It was a place where the animals were stored but it was technically still part of the home. This would be a place where you probably wouldn't put your honored guests, but maybe the teenagers or a distant relative you didn't care much about, maybe they'd go there. Uh, teenagers potentially smelled like the livestock in there. I ain't even paying attention, see? See, you ain't even listening. Um, but yeah, so thinking about that, it's like these meager conditions that, they, that Jesus finds himself in. <clears throat> you know, thinking about who Jesus Christ is, and he's in this just normal, less, well, less than normal place. Um, it reminded me of a song, but then that's, I didn't realize that that song were actually lyrics from, uh, or excuse me, the lyrics were uh, pulled from scripture, which is 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and it says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And the song that I'm referring to, it's, it's called Here I Am to Worship. Y'all may be familiar with it. Let me read you the lyrics uh, that, 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 I, that came to mind when I thought about this. It says this. It's the second verse. Uh, King of all days, you're so highly exalted. Glorious in heaven above. Humbly you came. It had been a while. <laughs> ah, 
okay. Humbly you came to the earth you created. All for love's sake became poor. Here I am to worship. Uh, Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you are my God. You are altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful to me. I love that song. Oh, you know, it had been a while since I got up here and lost it. So I guess I was overdue. (sighs) I guess I reclaimed my title of weeping prophet. (sighs) So, yeah, man, that verse, that song, this passage, the incarnation of Christ is such a beautiful thing. It's such a special thing. And there's so many applications that can be made from this passage. We can go a hundred different directions uh, for our lives. There, there's so much that, so much truth, so many principles that are that can be pulled from this passage. Common birth, meager beginnings. Nothing was done for nothing that was done for him was fit for a king, for the king that he is. But as we think about that, like how how encouraging is that for us? 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31 says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Wow. (laughs) But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. I love it. I love it. Um, I love it because I wasn't wise, powerful, or of noble birth. But by faith, and because of his sacrifice, I could approach the king of kings and be accepted. And this is the this is the greatest news you or I could hear today. I almost made it. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's 1 Timothy 1, uh, 15 through 17. Now, once again, in closing, the incarnation of Christ is a beautiful thing. God's providence prepared the way. Joseph's protection took them along the way. And Mary's pregnancy gave birth to the way. 
And when we view our life in light of all that Christ has done, it should bring us peace, knowing that the same God who provided a way for his son will be with us until he calls us home. Now, as the music team makes their way back up here and the song plays, please make sure to take advantage of the time that you've been given to think about all that Christ has done. Pray about it and thank him for it. Let's pray.